Awake the Tribe podcast tells the intimate and personal stories of everyday people who are doing the hard work of transmuting their familiar programming, societal expectations, generational traumas, colonization mindsets, and patriarchy perspectives. These are the inspiring and celebratory stories of the brave, true, and awake. Welcome to the Wake the Tribe podcast. Today, I am very excited to have a very dear friend, my beautiful friend Lisa with us. And she is an amazing interspecies relationship coach, which is so fascinating to me. And we were just off camera just now talking about one time when I went to go visit Lisa in Byron Bay in a beautiful place we were with horses and I remember thinking one of the horses that was with us in particular looked really thirsty and I said Lisa I think the horse is thirsty and she was saying that basically that's exactly what she does is she connects people to their intuitive nature to connect with horses am, am I saying that correctly <laughs> yeah it, you did it that was the cool thing you did it and it was it was a long time ago and I loved that you didn't um, really have much connection with horses at the time. Like, Not at all. I think that was probably my very first time. You sensed that this horse was thirsty. How do you sense a horse is thirsty? Like a dog, you might see them panting or they're hot, but a horse doesn't do that. So for you to be able to sense that and then for us to go and get him water and he was really thirsty. I don't know why there wasn't water in the trough or what was happening that day. It was so many years ago, but yeah, it's just tuning in to what they need and what they're trying to tell us. Right. And it could be as, uh, something like they're thirsty or it could be something like um, they're in pain or it could be something like they'd really like to go on an adventure and why don't we go? It could be anything, but just really tuning in to what they have to tell us and teach us in the process. Yeah, that was my first inklings of intuition in terms of like, because now having done breath work and Reiki, I'm able to tune in and kind of intuitively say to a person, something, this information is coming in, I'm getting a sense of your grandfather, whatever it is, or this message is coming through and I feel like I should tell you, tell me if it resonates or not, usually it does. And I didn't ever, ever have that at all when we were with the horses. So that was like my first kind of out of ordinary connection. Mm. And it was correct. You know, it, and what's also really cool about it is, I mean, this gets into a little bit around intuitive communication with, and we can do it with animals, we can do it with humans, but um, is, is the ability to, um, confirm the validity, the, the accuracy of your, your um, sense. So that one was really easy because it was like, oh, I think he's so thirsty. Let's get him some water. Oh, look, we brought him some water. He really wanted it. So boom, you just get that instant response and that's really helpful. So the more that we do that and we go, oh, I'm sensing, hmm. And then we, we explore that and then we get an instant answer then we, we, we know we're on track or we're off track. And that's, that's helpful. When I came to visit you in Byron, it was right before Christmas and mm. it's almost Christmas now. Yeah. But I remember going to that 100 acre, amazing. 100 acre paddock. So beautiful. Like we just wanted to buy that. <laughs> Do you remember that land that we wanted to buy? It was just. That's turned into a subdivision. It's called. Hallowood now and there's probably I don't know 100 houses 200 oh, houses there. that is so sad to me because I just remember waking up in the morning and seeing this expanse of land just green and then horses just frolicking like on their own just as nature intended just you know totally. untethered and all that mm -hmm. and I remember like driving up to see you there were all these like fruit stands and I remember getting like all these mangoes and I remember 
that was my breakfast that morning was like this beautiful Australian mango that I had gotten from like a roadside and watching just these horror, it was like heaven on earth. Mm. Going back to a little bit of history, you know, I've known you for 25 years. We've gone through so many transitions and that was like a transformative time for both of us at that time. And I remember thinking like, I'm just going to go visit Lisa in Byron Bay. <laughs> why yeah, why not? And I remember waking up that way and it was so idyllic. And then like an hour later, we were shoveling horse manure. <laughs> That's part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, paying for the view, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but I remember that trip, you had said to me, like, what you loved about horses was there's just no bullshit. Yeah. There's yeah. horseshit, but there's no bullshit. There's horseshit, but there's no <laughs> bullshit. Well, they do, they do share their feelings. Um, it's just that they're nonverbal. So that's why it was really cool that you were able to sense what that particular horse was telling you. I do write about that in, in the book. There's a chapter um, around authenticity. And there was one time when I went out into the paddock and I, I was really upset about something. And um, I tried to put on a happy face because I saw my horse and I was like, hi, Bob, you know, it's so good to see you. And he looked at me and he was like, you're a phony. You know, I can't even, I can't even relate to you right now. And he just sort of sniffed and walked away. And of course I was already upset. So I just started bawling. And as soon as I started crying and I was actually revealing my, my truth, he walked back up to me and stood next to me oh. and just was like, okay, now, now I can, now I can be with you, but I can't be with you when you've got this, incongruent emotion yeah. happening and um you know they can tell if how you're feeling by your heart rate your breathing um your energy field so he can see the truth just by scanning me so if i'm if, if i'm behaving in a way that's not in alignment with my truth he it's very um unsettling for them and they just don't really want to interact with somebody that's not congruent which is great in a way but you know we were also just talking about before we started recording we both you know spent a lot of time in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is the mecca for this kind of sort of I don't want to generalize too much but I kind of have to to make this point but it is sort of a superficial world and it's, you know, got its roots in Hollywood and the movies and, you know, looking good and, you know, everything on the facade. But it's not so much around cultivating our, our inner our inner truth and, um, and sharing that. Um, so it's funny, you know, coming from LA um, and then being involved with the horses and having them really demand authenticity in order to be with them, in order to interact with them. And I, you know, it's like the best medicine for somebody like myself or really any, any person, because the more we are authentic and who we really are, I think that's where our power is. And that's where we can share, you know, that we can be, we can be the most helpful to others. Absolutely. I want to go back just to give a little bit of background um, yeah. on your book. Lisa is writing a book called One with Horses and super exciting um, because it's not just you, right? It's not just your experiences. It's a whole myriad of people that have contributed. What is it um, particularly about horses? What draws you in rather than any other animal? Was there something in particular that aligned you with horses? Yeah, I actually come from, you know, a city. So my parents, they weren't animal people at all. My dad was actually a hunter. 
So I kind of find that amazing, you know, being such an animal lover, being born into a family where, you know, he would step on spiders and he would go out hunting and, you know, this is, this was considered normal. But anyway, um, something happened when I was five and my parents had a dinner party and they invited all these couples, all these, you know, people over. And there was this one couple named Ron and Joyce that, I somehow just decided they were great. They were just like fabulous. And I wouldn't leave them alone. I just kept hanging out with them and talking to them. And I wanted to know everything about them and playing with them. And they were from British Columbia, Canada. And they didn't have kids, but they had this farm and they had horses and cows and dogs and cats. And they told me about it. And I was just like, you know, totally into it. And they said, well, you know, Lisa, if you really want, you're welcome to come and visit us. And um, I think my dad was really good friends with their neighbor they shared some land with. And so the next thing I knew, um, summer vacation rolls around and I am on a plane by myself at five years old going to Canada. I, none of us can believe how this happened, but this happened. Right. And my mom would, she said to uh, the uh, flight attendant, just make sure she makes it to the other side and someone will pick her up and Ron and Joyce pick me up on the other side, which, you know, you'd never do this these, these days, but that's what happened. And I, I got there and they were on this beautiful farm in a tiny little town called Hundred Mile House. And they had horses and dogs and cats. And I just played with all the animals constantly. And there weren't any other kids to play with. So the animals were really my, my entertainment. You know, they were, my, they were my homies. And one day I went out into this field and this one horse in particular started following me everywhere I went. Mm -hmm. And Ron and Joyce noticed this and they said, wow, this horse loves you. And um, we're gonna rename him Little Buddy because he's like your little buddy. And I was kind of like blown away. Not only was this horse following me and sort of protecting me and I could really feel his presence um, just as a friend. Of course, I didn't know anything about horses. I was this little kid. Um, I didn't want anything. I didn't have any expectations. And this horse just chose to be with me. And it was just, that was the beginning. Cause then I was like, wow, who are these, you know, who are these beings that, I mean, the horse was so big in comparison right. to me. And it was just such a beautiful experience. It really left a, a huge, um, it, it, it impacted me a lot. And when I finally, I didn't want to go home. My mom would call me every Sunday and she'd say, oh, you sound more Canadian every week. And I'd say, hey. And, um, <laughs> and that's probably all my Canadian. I don't say sorry or do to her, you know, but maybe there was little words that I was saying and, and started to get an accent. Anyhow, I came home and um, went into first grade after that. And I just begged my mom and dad if I could please learn how to ride horses, something with horses. Um, I couldn't exactly bring this horse back from Canada because, you know, we're in a city. It wasn't really a possibility. But um, then, then I, my parents were nice enough to um, take me to go have horse riding lessons. So that was, it was the beginning was meeting little buddy in little Canada. Buddy. Little buddy. <laughs> I love that story. I never heard that story before in all the years that I've known you. I've never heard that story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, what really struck me too is that, you know, like these people come to us and we're just drawn to them. And I'm reminded of how when we met when I was 20 years old, like 25 mm -hmm. years ago, and, you know, by chance, I remember that one time we went to go see our mutual friend. And she wasn't home, but we were both there at the same time when we ended up having breakfast together. Mm. Do you remember that? 
No, don't. We we showed up at our friend's house um, and she wasn't around. We just, she was a friend that we would see and pop in every now and then uninvited and just have tea. But we ended up being there at the same time at her front door and she wasn't home. And we ended well, up we just going. Let herself in and made breakfast in her no, kitchen. No, no, no. We went around the corner to like a little breakfast. Oh, like, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah, and I just remember like, okay, you know, it's nice to have breakfast with Lisa. And then you see all of these moments, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's a tapestry that you don't know is being created while you're living it. Yeah. And Lisa, I have to say, is the one person that is instrumental in me moving to Australia. <laughs> you, you're the one that invited me there. I, I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> and it's just changed my life so much. Like I did breath work. I learned breath work there. I met all kinds of people. I started a nonprofit. Like there's so much that I did while I lived there. And we went through so many transitions, both of us, while we were both living there. You're still there. But um, yeah, it just amazes me how these people come into our lives. They're like angels or whatever that just, yeah. So you're one of my little soul angels. <laughs> and I just love, I just love I just love how people, you know, invite us into places that we never would have gone before, you know, like if it wasn't for this couple, who knows when you would have been introduced to horses. Mm-hmm. Just amazes me. You know, what is interesting though, and I, I wrote about this the other day, was that when I was in art class, when I was probably younger than five, um, I was given some Crayola crayons and a pillowcase. And the art teacher said, draw something and we're gonna turn these into flags for the fair. Do you hear that black cockatoo? There's a black cockatoo calling out and it's going, wow. <laughs> make a really beautiful sound. They're really lovely birds. Um, so I drew this brown horse with a white star and black feet and black mane. And when I look at my horses now, they're all, Bob, let's say in particular, that's Bob. And I was drawing him in art class as a child before any of that happened. Amazing. kind of bizarre. I don't know. It's like, I I have this feeling like we, we, when, before we are born, we're little balls of energy and we come up with this plan of what we want to do when we come down to earth and become human. Yeah. And when we're born, we forget it all so that we can actually live it. But there's these little markers, you know, there's these little, little signs that are sort of put in our path. And I, I don't think they're accidents. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Like no, you coming to Australia or me meeting this couple and going to Canada and, you know, every little thing that happens is, yeah. is interwoven so that, you know, you can, you can carry on and experience your, your destiny. Right, right. Yeah, I was just talking to my son about it today, who you've met, because when he was a baby, I used to call him my penguin. Like, it was just a nickname that I came up with. Every time I would see him, I would just think penguin. Um, but as as he got older, particularly around like three or four, he started talking about his life in Antarctica. And he has this like really rich, complex stories about living in Antarctica. And I remember thinking like, why did I use the word penguin? Like out out of all the animals or whatever nicknames I could think of, why did I think penguin? And so we were talking about that today. And so those little cute little markers that we are fun little points of light that we give each other throughout our life to make it interesting. Yeah, and it's through the reflection sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So, because you might be thinking something 
And it's good, I think, to express it, you know, call him your penguin and, you know, and then see, like, maybe that he needed to hear that. Maybe yeah. that, you know, was Help just... mind it. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, we who don't knows. know the whole, the whole um, story, but it is, it is uncanny sometimes when you think, wow, I met you just when I needed to. Yeah. You know, amazing how that all happened. And of course that needed to happen because none of the other things that would have happened if it didn't. So, yeah. Yeah. Blessing. So, yeah. You know, you talked about how horses demand authenticity, but also what comes to mind is presence, right? And coming out of this crazy year that we've all had around the world, I think that's the one thing that has been demanded of us is presence. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited in that you're showing this connection to nature because I think it's what we're being all called to tap into. Mm. Presence is so important for that, for that connection to happen. Is there anything in particular that you recommend any types of exercises or something to connect with animals, whatever they be? Mm. Yeah, um, you're right. With presence, that is sort of like the foundation of all connection is presence, not just with animals. Right. You know, here we are, we're present with each other. Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm like, you know, looking at my papers or I'm not present with you or same thing with your son, you know, it's really just the foundation of all relationship. Um, I think with, you know, you ask around um, about exercises. One of the simplest things that you can do to come back to presence is breathing. And I know you've done breath work. Breathing is so powerful. And even the simplest thing, just taking, let's say, five, six deep belly breaths can bring you into presence because suddenly you're focusing on the here and now, what's happening, I'm breathing, okay. Or for some people, um, another thing might be just um, looking at something uh, in the natural world, looking at a flower and really looking at it, looking at a leaf, looking at something natural. Um, And I think part of the connection is around noticing noticing these tiny things that many people um, are sort of rushing. It's like, it's like when you're, it's the difference between driving in a car when you're going somewhere and walking or sitting in a spot. Let's just say walking. You just see so much more. You're so much more intimately connected. You feel the wind on your skin. You feel the, the, you know, I don't know, the grass, the cool grass under your feet, or if you're barefoot or the sand or the, you know, you feel, you feel, um, you get into your senses. And I think that that's really helpful is when I, when I go out to be with the horses, especially now, I'm not riding as much. I've chosen to just sort of have a little break from riding because I wanted to explore that. But um, I think, you know, I, I think about what I'm smelling, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. Like even just then I hear these black cockatoos outside. I'm tuned in with my senses, what I'm feeling, you know. Um, yeah, it could be even, I, I hear a bee buzzing, you know, pollinating some the, the flowers outside or it could be any little tiny detail and then just noticing that it brings me into the moment. That's how I do it. So just breathing, getting into my senses. And the other thing that I do is, um, I do a few body awareness exercises, but one's really simple and it has to do with my posture. So even when I'm sitting at the computer, I think about, okay, you know, are my, are my shoulders hunching? 
or is my chin sticking out or am I sort of curled up or, or am I straight? Are my shoulders back? Is my heart open? Is my, you know, chin really aligned with my body, you know, my neck not jutting out? Because I also look at these people that are, let's say, you know, in their, their golden years and depending on their posture throughout their life, they sort of crystallize in this form, you know, so you'll see, you know, old people walking down the street. And if they're like this for most of their time, they're sort of that way. They're sort of um, in that shape. So I really try to get myself into a, 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 I call it ground position, which is something I learned from um, one of my mentors, someone named Klaus Hempfling. And um, it was just a posture and thinking about, what he said, which I always found fascinating was that if you're leaning forward, you're anxious and you're wanting. So mm -hmm. to bring yourself back to neutral. And if you're leaning back, then you're hesitant and you're kind of on the back foot. So in order to be present, you need to actually be um, balanced physically and not leaning to the left or the right or the front or the back. Um, you know, you're both your feet on the ground equally, your knees bent ever so slightly so that you are able to move in any direction quite easily. I notice when people, it's really interesting, uh, when people come to me and I say, well, just stand naturally. And they might just have their feet together or they might be sort of off to the side, um, you know, with their hand on their hip or something like that. And I say, is it all right if I touch you? You know, in non-COVID <laughs> times, it's okay. And, you know, just give them a little nudge in one direction. They just fall over. But when you find yourself in this really balanced position in Tai Chi, you know, they have a, a ground position as well. It's, I don't know what it's called, but in all the martial arts, they have this as a foundation, just standing. So, um, so yeah, when you're, when you're not balanced physically, it's really easy to fall out of balance mm -hmm. with just a tiny push. And, um, and I think that emotionally as well. So then I try to go, okay, I need to, I need to find a neutral balanced place physically and emotionally. So if somebody said something to me before, you know, and it bothered me, I just try to let it go for the moment because what's happening, I'm looking at this flower, I'm listening to this bee, I'm breathing, I'm feeling the sun on my skin, I'm hearing the leaves rustle through, you know, the, the wind rustle through the leaves. And I just get back in touch with, through my senses, through my breathing, through my posture, um, to become present and the horses help too because they're they're very present you know they might be just grazing or you know standing and just enjoying whatever the scenery um, but they they're not wanting anything they're not fearful unless there is something fearful happening but most 99% of the time they're just chilling and they're just like masters of the art of presence so um yeah, they're, um, they help. They help just being around them and realizing, oh, okay, I'm just gonna breathe. I'm just gonna check my posture, okay. And it just simplifies everything. And, um, and then suddenly I become so sensitive that I can, I can feel the energy. I can feel real subtle things. And the other part is, is being still I find being still is very helpful and also being quiet, being silent. So otherwise there's too much happening and I find it a little bit, um, of course here I'm present with you and I'm not silent, I'm you know, having a chat, but when I'm with the animals, stillness and silence are, are important. Yeah, because they they, they're nonverbal kind of be like them what are they doing they're just chilling and they're at peace and they're in the moment and that's a really beautiful place to get to as a human absolutely <laughs> I, i've always been into martial arts I've, I've done a lot of different kinds and i remember thinking when you said the position in tai chi but i was thinking of all the different names that i've learned and I remember the one pose that you do to keep you strong and balanced and aligned 
is horse stamps. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? Yeah, or you know that it might be mountain pose. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, same, same. Yeah, I just find that interesting that it's it's a horse. <laughs> of course it is. Of course, of course it is. it's a horse. <laughs> I just want to rewind a little bit and go back to your awakening in particular. Were horses instrumental in that? So is there one particular moment where you realize that that there's something else that's deeper and that has to be discovered so to speak well I've had a series of awakenings on lots of realms um, with the animals with horses with how I live with my diet um, with the horses um, I told you the story of, you know, coming back from Canada and wanting to have horse riding lessons. Yeah. And so by then, okay, I'm in first grade. I think I was five going on six. And, uh, and I was taught traditionally. I was taught by this really, really beautiful man named Aegon Mertz. And he had been in the German cavalry. And his claim to fame was, well, one of them, was that he had taught Elizabeth Taylor how to ride for National Velvet. And he had, now the story goes, maybe his daughter will say this is a little bit of an embellishment, but what I was told was that he had won this land in Malibu in a poker game because everybody you know was sort of putting in everything they had. He had a watch, someone else had this, this land in Malibu that was like, worth nothing at the time. And uh, he ended up winning this hand and winning this land in Malibu and ultimately ended up um, setting up a little horse property. And, um, but he was, you know, he was a jumper. He was trained traditionally with bits and, you know, but very, very kind, beautiful man. And funnily enough, his wife set up the first health food shop in Malibu, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And they had goats and, um, so funnily enough, um, I, like you said, you know, we were talking about how these, these, these um, experiences sort of uh, experiences are planted, you know, the penguin with your son and, you know, going to Canada, whatever. But I find it interesting because I live on a property now where there's 50 goats, there's horses and my diet, you know, I'm pretty much going to a health food shop all the time. Um, or just eating fruit and veg. So it definitely made an impact on me, this, this man. Um, but with some, that was the positive side of, to it. As I grew older, I continued to, you know, seek um, any kind of horse experience I could. And I started competing and um, jumping and doing, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I thought that the ultimate level of, of horsemanship was going to the Olympics. When um, I moved to Australia and I got married and my ex-husband's family was into horses, they were having a, an Olympic level clinic hosted at the house. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, this is my dream this is like the you know, highest level of horsemanship. And I'd been sort of going through this training my whole life, right? And so I asked Anne if I could um, take photos because I wanted to watch. It was run by this um, three-time gold medal, dressage gold medalist, um, Ula Salzberger. And I was just like, fantastic. So I get there and I've got my camera and I've got my tripod and I'm super excited. And the riders start coming in and basically they, they were trying out so that she would choose them to train with her to go to the Olympics. And I started taking these photos and looking through the lens of the camera, I somehow, it, it was enough of a separation that I could actually see what was happening. Not what I was trained to think was okay, which was using bits, spurs, whips, all that had been sort of part of my training but when I saw it at the highest level and the horses were like covered in white lather, they had all this metal in their mouth, they were pulled into these really collected 
positions. Um, there was metal spurs, there was um, whips, there was high stress. One horse jumped out of the arena and sliced its belly open. Another horse um, was so stressed out that it couldn't, it lost its ability to uh, sweat. It's a condition called anhydrosis. And so this horse was overheating. And so they brought it to the wash bay and they were just hosing it down with water to try to keep it cool enough. They were very, very expensive horses, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, per horse and, um, you know, tons and tons of education. And they were like at the high, high, height of their conditioning, ready to go. And suddenly I started realizing, God, this is not, this is not what I was interested in. What I was interested in was what happened when I was five with little buddy. That was the connection that inspired me to want to be around horses, not control through pain or domination, which it appeared like that was happening. And what it what didn't just appear, it was happening, you know, but I could I could really see it because I was taking photos. And then when I look at the photos now, I go, oh, wow. And, and that's beautiful, question mark, big question mark. How can that be beautiful? Horses don't wake up in the morning and wanna to go to the Olympics. What did they need? What did they want, you know? So that was a big epiphany for me. And that was a big awakening because all of a sudden something that I had thought was the, pinnacle of success was actually the exact opposite. And so many things in my life have um, occurred in that way. Things that I had really so desperately wanted and realized that it's not what I want at all. That's not, that's not for me. Um, so yeah, that was one of them. And especially, you know, in the realm of horses, that there's been a series of awakenings. Um, that was a big one though. Wow. I remember you taking pictures at that time. You were into photography and I, I still have some of the photos that you've actually given me, um, which were amazing. And I remember you really being into photography then. You know, it's really interesting that before I arrived to Australia, I was on the brink of a divorce. And I remember going through it with you. And it was a moment where it was something you always wanted. And then you're in it and you're like, oh, this is not it at all. <laughs> oh, wait a second. Oh. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's funny how life works, isn't it? <laughs> it's, thing too, you know, I, sp uh, I spoke earlier about my dad being a hunter mm -hmm. and um, I share this story in the, in the book as well. I think I'm going to keep it in there at the moment. I'm not sure how much I'm going to edit out, but um, when I was in my mother's tummy, yeah, before I was born, Right. My dad decided he was going to go on a hunting trip to Sumatra to hunt a tiger. But the thing is, they went and they could not find a tiger. And then they tried to hunt an elephant to use as bait to get a tiger. And they, my dad told me the story where they were, they were trying to track this elephant, but apparently he was constipated. So... He didn't have a lot to track and he ran through this bamboo field and they eventually lost him. And then on their way back to camp, all these like pointy, like kind of broken off pieces of bamboo were sort of pointed at them like daggers and it was really hot and they all suffered and they got really sick, I think from drinking some water. They didn't find a tiger. They didn't find an elephant um, or kill anything and um, ended up coming home. Now, meanwhile, which is really bizarre, my mom, um, she was back in LA 
and she nearly had a miscarriage. So suddenly she thought she was having a miscarriage and she'd lost a lot of blood. And she went to the hospital thinking that the baby was gone and I was fine. And I wondered, now I'm just putting the pieces together. This is totally me um, curious about this because the timing was right. I wondered if my dad had actually um, hunted a tiger, if I would have turned around, but he didn't. So I was like, okay, okay, I can deal with this, you know, like, and then ultimately my dad has gone back to Africa since and he stopped hunting and he started taking photographs and he bought these really nice cameras and beautiful lenses, which I have now, they're analog, which is super cool. And um, started taking beautiful photos. And I thought, thank you for not shooting them with guns. Thank you for shooting them with, with images. And even, well, oh, it used to be here. I used to have this um, photograph that my dad took of a, a leopard in a tree, just chilling. And it just reminds me that people can transform and so, yeah, there's a bit of this idea of, of photography and the healing aspect of photography and the ability to honor and see things in a different way through a lens and, um, and then to share that with people as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, he took up photography and maybe that's where my passion came from as well because I do love photography. Still. What a beautiful story. Wow. I'm just learning all kinds of new things about you. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've known you for 25 years. Uh, there's always more. There's right? always more. That's the most beautiful thing I think about humans is there's always more. There's mm -hmm. always more to learn. There's always more to grow. It's always yeah. more to share. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, too, it's a, it's a matter of, of being present. You know, we're present to each other. We're having this really, you know, beautiful conversation. And um, the birds. Yeah, there's lots of them around. They're super cute, all different kinds. Yeah. So to wrap it up, what do you, what would you say our horses are teaching people? Is there a certain message you think they're, I mean, I know that's a generalization, but <laughs> as a species, do you think that they are here to teach us something in particular? I do. I definitely do. I'm trying to think if it's like, if I could wrap it up into one um, word. And I would say for every person, it's different. Mm. They, they bring stuff up for people. You might need to learn about... Um, one aspect of your life or, or one aspect of your character or something that you, you were blind to and suddenly being with the horses or um, uh, being outside in the natural world, you suddenly are able to see it. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's one um, thing that they want to teach us. I, I think ultimately they're teaching us to become better humans. So we think that we're going to horses to teach them how to, you know, be better horses. And they're actually teaching us how to be better humans. So if I could generalize it, that would be what's happening. They're, they're teaching us how to become more authentic, more grateful, more compassionate, more present, more consistent. And so that's in my book, those are the themes that came up for me. So, Initially, when I started this project, I interviewed the people that I thought were the best in the world at connecting with horses in, in a compassionate way, because I thought, well, if I'm not going to go to the Olympics, then what is, what is the most amazing way to connect with horses? And so why don't I talk to the experts, the people that I think are like, you know, amazing. Why don't I talk to them and then share that information and people can then make their own decisions, what works and what resonates with them because all of our situations are unique. So that was the whole idea behind the book. And then, and then the themes started arising and the theme 
things that the horses were teaching us are the ones that I just mentioned. And so that's uh, in, in the book now, that's where I shared personal stories of how the horses are teaching those, those kind of themes to us. And um, by following my experience, I'm sure lots of people have similar experiences. And like you said, you'll resonate with, um, I can't remember if we were on camera or off camera when you said, when uh, you went to Landmark and um, you couldn't believe that you could have so much in common with people who were sharing their stories. And that's really my hope is that people will go, oh, wow, that's happened to me as well. Or, oh, you know, it's just, it's a bit of a confirmation that, you know, you're not crazy if you don't want to do dressage, you, you know, kind of rejected the traditional path in some ways. But also once we, what I've, I've found is once I stop needing to train horses or, you know, go in this sort of domestication route, like I'm getting them to behave in a certain way, then all of a sudden I'm free as well to do what I need to do in my life. So in some ways, undomesticating and untraining horses so that they can just be their magical divine selves and they have their needs met. You know, they've got a paddock, they've got um, friends and a herd, they've got water, they've got shade, they've got grass, they've got freedom to roam. And then suddenly when you meet them, there's, there's not a neediness, there's just a, oh, being to being, you know, we're meeting. And that's, that's where I find the most magic is. But um, once we undomesticate them and stop this idea of needing to train them, to ride them so that they can, you know, be, I don't know, sold as a commodity, then we're actually undomesticating ourselves. So, you know, the whole story that you have to go to school, get good grades, um, you know, get a job, make some money, get married, have a couple of kids, buy a house or buy a house, I don't know, whatever order, you know, the program that we were kind of fed. Then like, I didn't fit into that even if I, tr I tried, I really tried, but it just, it wasn't my, it wasn't my path. And um, like you said, you know, when at the time you you have a beautiful partner now, but at that time, that wasn't your path to be married in that relationship. And, and so once we let go of that needing to fit into a program, it frees us to be who we actually are. And, and so that's also the gift that I find um, horses are giving to us is that once we free them, we free ourselves. So beautiful. You summed it up perfectly. I, I you know, I've never worked with horses, but having a child, I think, I see a lot of similarities because I know that if I'm forcing myself and my ideas, my beliefs, my way, it never works out. Mm -hmm. But when I'm present and taking care of myself and, you know, I think the number one, besides presence, the number one thing that kept coming up this year for a lot of people that I know is sovereignty. And as we end the year, we're coming upon the longest night of the year, you know, and, and in that darkness, we're figuring out the points of light, you know, we're figuring out what we want, how we want to live and to focus ourselves on ourselves and not other people mm -hmm. stay in your lane and focus on that let everyone else do their thing part of the challenge is being able to for everybody to have their needs met mm -hmm. just simple needs right like for horses there's something called the five freedoms but for all animals i think it's like you know freedom from hunger, freedom from thirst, freedom from suffering, freedom from, you know, there's five of them. Um, oh, forgive me, I can't remember them all. But just to have our needs met, then we're in that neutral place. But when we don't have our needs met, when we're cold, when we're hungry, when we're, you know, desperate in some way, you know, we, we, we are sort of on the back foot, then we, um, do things that um, might not 
be in alignment with ourselves and the rest of the planet because you know we're trying to survive right so the goal is for all beings to have their needs met so that they're thriving so that we can meet as you know balanced empowered individuals and i think that's sort of something that i'm 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 fascinated with and and really exploring with the horses is what do they need to have their needs met? And I looked, like I mentioned before, you know, the food, the water, the shade, the grass. And then I think to myself, well, what do I need? What do I need? And, and that also is around being sovereign because I don't want to be controlled by an employer. I don't want to be, you know, pushed around by a landlord, which I am being right now, where they just say, oh, we're doubling the rent. Sorry, we can get more. Good luck if you don't like it you know, the door is an option. And it's like, you know, in a housing crisis, it's really um, quite scary. And um, so wouldn't it be amazing, like if we went back to Anastasia's concept that as your birthright, you would be given a hectare of land to live, if we could just live. You know, we could grow our own food, we could build a little cabin, we could collect our water, we would, we would have enough space to be and somewhere we could come back to that we knew we were safe, that we knew was ours. You know, God, the world would be such a different place. And then we would nurture that land and it would, you know, the world would become a garden again, rather than Nowadays, we live in this death economy instead of a life economy where a tree is more valuable cut down, a whale is more valuable dead, uh, you know, elephant is more valuable dead. And so you have all this killing and all this destruction of the natural world, which is essentially what people don't realize is that it's killing us as well. You know, ultimately the ecology is gone and destroyed um, we're gone too. We're part of it. And for some reason, humans haven't made that connection. So that idea of being sovereign to be like, okay, I'm going to generate my own power. I mean, that is so what I yearn for is just to be in a little cabin with my horses nearby and my solar panels, my water tanks, you know, where I'm not, I'm not desperate to work a job that is out of alignment or pushed out by a landlord or, you know, living a life that, that isn't, isn't me, but because I have to for my survival. And I think that's where many people, um, there is that gap where, well, what do you actually need to do for your survival? But it shouldn't be that way, but we've lost touch. We've lost touch. We're so disconnected from the, the, the natural world. And that's why I find this book is not just about horses. This is about reconnecting with the natural world and ourselves. And the horses are leading us back to it. For millennia, horses have transported us. And now they're transporting us back to ourselves and our connection to nature. Oh, what a beautiful hero's journey, really, with the horse, right? I'm so glad that you said all those things because tomorrow is supposed to be very important Mm. for a lot of us in the spiritual community. And I think it's really important that we speak into existence the way that we want things to be because we've been fed a lot of things. We've been fed a lot of beliefs that aren't necessarily true. And the more that we separate ourselves from this story that we have to have a landlord, we have to work a nine to five, if we remove certain constructs that are set in place, you know, I I think that's where the gap is. Like if we take care of one another, little by little, if we keep talking about these things, the way that things could be, then we start creating them, right? Mm -hmm. It's so close to that I can taste it, you know, like I can see it for everybody. There's enough land. There's enough resources if we live in a certain way with nature. Mm. And we know that it's possible. 
we know that there's enough of us that want the same thing. We're, we're creating the vision. Now we're starting to do a roadmap, I guess, as a society. At least that's what I'm seeing and hoping for and working mm-hmm. towards. Absolutely. So one thing I would love to share is um, you talked about the solstice. For us, it's the longest day of the year. That's here right. the other side, the Southern <laughs> Hemisphere. Yes. Um, and I realized, so one of the most beautiful times of day is around now when the sun goes down and there's this big open paddock, about 50 acres, and the horses are always grazing out there. And I, I watch the sunset quite often and I see this beautiful, like, this beautiful sky. And then I see the land. And often I see the horses right in the middle. And I realize, wow, they absorb all the cosmic energy. They're under the stars all night long. They absorb all of the nutrients from the grass and the soil and the minerals. And, and they're part of this whole system. And they're kind of in the in the, the um, middle between heaven and earth. Mm. So no wonder they hold so much wisdom because they're, they're right there. They're taking everything from above and below. And, and so when I look out in the paddock and I just go, wow, no wonder you are so amazing. They've just absorbed it all. They are that. Yeah. You know, they're all that energy. They're showing us how to live. <laughs> showing us how to live, yeah. Which is, is you know, also they, they live in a herd, mm-hmm. ideally, you know, unless somebody sadly has a horse on its own. Um, but they live in a herd, they live in community, and they live in collaboration. And what you were talking about before is, I think, you know, the economy is based on sort of competition, and it's not so much about collaboration. And in order to make the transition that we need to make, I think we need our community and to collaborate with one another as the horses do. They protect each other. They, you know, they're safer in a group and they're friends with each other. They know each other intimately and, and they're there for each other. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's going to be a big change, especially here. We're in a smaller town, um, and so you know, different people can trade different veggies. Oh, we got a lot of mangoes this year. What do you have? And I think that you know, but not only just with food, but just what what our services are, uh, being able to um, offer whatever it is that we have in exchange for something else that somebody else might like to offer. And that's becoming more uh, common, especially in um, my town, which is really lovely. It's lovely. That's what I also learned. um, Even in Los Angeles, I somehow got onto this group right when quarantine happened in March called Buy Nothing for the neighborhood that I lived in at the time. And it was the most beautiful group. People would give each other rides. They would offer whatever they had. Same thing, you know, fruit from their trees. Just the most beautiful extension of themselves as human beings, just sharing and Mm. volunteering and just giving. Mm. And it's just inherently in us. You know, if we want it, if we want to live that way, it's there. It's just, it seems to me that it's when people's survival is threatened. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the horses. If their survival is threatened, or if let's say, you know, they're hungry and there's only, you know, a few piles of hay, they're going to fight for it. Right. But if you put out lots of piles of hay, more than the amount of horses there are, then there's an abundance Right. So there's not scarcity. It's only when we, we feel our survival is threatened, there's scarcity. Yeah. And we need to, you know, really worry right. and protect that there is like an aggression. Whereas when everybody has enough, you know, and we're healthy, yeah. Um, then it's not there's not you don't get that war. Yeah. So 
but that's the challenge, you know, how can we do that, especially for people that don't have the, the access to land to grow their own food. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the, what happens with the cities. In this area, people are moving out of the cities into more regional Australia, because now after COVID, everybody started working, well, the majority of people have started working remotely. And so they realize they don't need to be in the cities. And even my sister was saying, you know, God, it's no fun being in a city when you can't do stuff, everything's shut. All the restaurants are shut, all the movies are shut, can't go anywhere, you can't visit friends. So I think, you know, even you, you've moved out of the city. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to, you know, all the big cities and how people choose to live. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, also it's, it's really tied into our economy. And, you know, you could see with the horses, like I was saying before, those horses that were going to the Olympics, they were very, very expensive. And I think you can't, you can't really commodify everything. You know, once you commodify it, then it's not a being anymore. It's not an individual. It's got a dollar sign on it. And it's then distorted. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll have some, you know, big changes in our economy and how people live, how people make money. Or maybe, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe it goes to a blockchain or I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. It's not my realm. Yeah. But. Who knows? We're definitely on a brink of many changes. Yeah. So what are the offerings that you have? You obviously have a book coming out. You mentioned coaching. Is, is it just horses? Mm. Yeah, people do come to me with different kinds of animals. Um, but at the moment, I am focused on horses. Um, I'm going to have the book coming out probably you know, 2021. And then I'm developing, I don't know if I told you, I'm developing an Oracle deck. <gasps> Ooh, yeah, kind of fun. It's kind of fun because um, it came out through, uh, uh, I guess, serendipity because I thought, mm, I don't know if a publisher is going to want to publish a full color book with lots of photographs because I have tons of photographs and a dear friend of mine has some beautiful paintings. I was thinking, how can I use all these amazing images? Because they add so much to the flavor and the feel of the book. Yeah. And, um, and then I thought, oh, I'll do an Oracle deck. So it's called wisdom, uh, wisdom from the horse's medicine for the soul. It's part of the One With Horses series. There is a publisher that is interested already. And I've got a designer in LA. I'm working with somebody I worked with 20 years ago in the film industry. And he's doing the initial card design so that we can submit the, um, the look. And it's basically what it is. It's like a distillation of the book. So it, at the end of each chapter, there's a section called Wisdom from the Horses. And so I thought, well, why don't I just take that one little section and you'll pull, let's say, a card, forgiveness, dropping the baggage, and then you'll read about forgiveness. And it's designed in a way so that um, there's four sections and it's the seasons because the animals are part of the natural world. So you pull a card and you might come up in winter. And winter has this, like you said, it's darker, it's more hibernating, it's more, you know, still, it's going inward. Or you might pull a summer, which is more, you know, outward, fun, hot, swimming, whatever. So each season has its own flavor. So we're just designing that now, so that's exciting. And then I've got an online course, which um, as soon as the book comes out, I'm going to be offering that, but I want to do it. Uh, in alignment with the book. So it'll be a 12 week program. And um, at the moment, I do have one, it's a seven week program. It's on my website, which is onewithhorses.com. And, and then I do personal coaching as well. So one-on-one -on -one coaching for people in the area who have horses and I'm doing clinics as well. So I've got a fair bit on um, and yeah. It's really fun and it's really beautiful to see the transformation between, you know, horses that I've seen aggressive, scary. The owners didn't know what to do. They were, you know, they couldn't even lead their horse 20 meters. 
And now they can go to the beach, they can do anything. The horse is totally at peace, the human's happy. It's amazing to watch. And um, yeah, that's what's going on. So exciting, I love it. So exciting to see you come into bloom with, with your passion too, as a friend, to see it mm -hmm. happening. It's really beautiful. No, oh, thanks. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your life and love. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure. If you would like to tell your own story or know someone whose story needs to be heard, please connect with me on Instagram at Awake the Tribe, or you may email me at Rhoda, R-H-O-G-A, at awakethetribe.com.